Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, March 30th, 2014. My name is Leigh, and I'm your moderator. The share ID for Friday, March 28th, is 6103. Today's presentation focuses on taking someone through the doctor's opinion, assisting them in the analysis and identification of their binge foods. The doctor's opinion, which serves as a preface to the book Alcoholics Anonymous, is the foundation of the whole big book and the entire fellowship. An essential part of the beginning of the recovery process is the study of the doctor's opinion and the separation from our binge foods and binge eating behaviors. Here to speak about the doctor's opinion and how to assist others through the process of identification of their binge foods is Do, a recovered compulsive overeater from New York. Do is a big book enthusiast who spends much time intensively working with compulsive overeaters and carrying this message of recovery. Good morning and welcome to you, Do. Good morning, Leah. Thank you so much for this privilege because I, I do consider it a, a privilege um, to be on this meeting and to be carrying this message. Um, my name is Do, and I am a recover compulsive overeater. And um, uh, for people that don't get my name, um, you can also say that I'm, I'm like Mountain Dew. <laughs> so. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to start off with um, uh, qualifying a little bit about myself. Um, I am, um, I come from Manhattan, New York. I, I live in the New York City area. And, you know, I've been uh, recovered for, I would say, the last five months. Um, I've been abstinent for 21 months uh, since uh, June 25th, 2012, and I've been sponsoring for the last three months. So I'm I'm pretty much newly recovered um, and newly going through this process of sponsoring other people. Um, however, you know I I do get this, and I just love the big book, and I am a big book advocate, and and I love to see people recover, and I love to. Um, I love the fact that I was able to recover because uh, when I came into program, I was about almost 240 pounds. And uh, through the process of working these steps and through the process, I did have about 110-pound weight loss. And today I maintain um, 100-pound weight loss. And, uh, you know, of course, it's not about the weight and it's not about, you know, uh, what I try to pull off during this recovery process, you know, what I try to uh, obtain, you know, because that was my main goal when I first came into this program was about the weight loss. Um, however, I found, I found something much better in this program, which was, you know, the recovery process, which helped me to be relieved from the obsession of the mind and and the physical allergy, which we'll uh, pretty much get into right now. And you know, um, the title is how how do you take some uh, uh, someone through the doctor's opinion? And I always like to start from the very beginning. I like to start from 
the prefaces um, with with sponsees, um, and it all depends on the sponsee. You know, cause some some people are so, so hardcore and they just can't wait. They just can't wait to get into the doctor's opinion. So I don't hold them off from getting into the doctor's opinion, but I do a very quick review um, with the prefaces and and the first edition and all the editions so that, you know, they can understand what, what this book is all about and what they're going to get in, in return. Um, and so that's where I begin with the sponsees and I, I basically let them know what what it is that we're going to be discussing, what, what we're going to be doing. And I just take them right to the prefaces and um, basically we, we, we touch on that. Um, on that sentence where it says, because this book has become the basic text for a society and has, has helped a large number of alcoholic men and women to recovery. Um, and in that part, you know, I hone in on the basic text because this is not a book that is going to be read like a novel. It's not going to be read like a story. It's not going to be read, you know, any other way, but the way it's supposed to be read. It's it's a subject book. Um, it's it's intended to be studied, and it's intended to go in chronological order. So you know, uh, just for instance, I always give this um, this example. You know, if you're studying uh, mathematics, a book in mathematics, um, you know, you you'll start off with adding and subtracting, and you don't go directly to you know fractions and algebra. Um, you would go through, you know, the multiplications and division, and then you get into the fractions and the division, and then you get into the algebra and, and eventually into calculus. Um, and that's how, that's how you, you study the book. You study it building on the foundation of these principles so that you can get the result and the outcome towards the end. And that's one of the things that I, I discuss with my sponsors initially. I also, at this point in time, um, talk about what I am, you know, and I am just a guide. Um, I'm not going to tell them how to eat. I'm not going to tell them how to, um, uh, what food plan they, they should get. Um, that is not my job. My job is to just help them to identify their binge foods and their trigger foods and um, help them to just set parameters around that so that they won't introduce those things into their food plan. Um, but we are going to discuss, you know, um, the food. We're going to discuss the trigger foods. We're going to discuss the binge foods. And we're also going to discuss parameters and suggestions and ideas about a food plan. Um, primarily what I tell them is that we're going to be into the big book and we're going to focus most of our time and spend most of our time together in in the big book. I also talk to them about um, I talk to them about the things that they're going to need um, because just like with any basic textbook, um, you sometimes refer to other other materials in order to um, get the optimal. Um, optimal uh, basic understanding of, of that subject. So if you're studying English, you probably have a dictionary. 
you'll probably have other reference materials to help you to understand the text that you are, are going into. So one of the things that I tell my sponsees, um, again, this is not uh, OA or AA approved and it's an outside issue, so I'm not going to mention the reference materials, but I will give you an overview of what I require for my sponsees to get. And normally I ask them to get this um, dictionary which will help them to understand this book. Um, it was written by by some recovered people um, that really helps to expound on the definitions in this book and also um, because this book is written in Old English, a lot of times a lot of the words and a lot of the phrases are, are a little difficult to understand. So what I do is I have them get that dictionary and define the words that are difficult for them to, to understand. I also um, have them uh, get other materials if they want to learn the history of AA, if they want to learn the history of, of the program of recovery. I also have them I also have them get the book that talks about the history of, of the program. Um, if they want to learn more about the Dr. Silkworth, then I refer them to that. Um, so there's a lot of lot of different uh, reference materials that will expound on the knowledge of the program of recovery um, and and help them to read this book in its context because I truly believe that if you read this book out of context, you're not going to get the results that you're looking for. The other thing that I do with the sponsee is while I am working with them on the doctor's opinion, it was recommended to me by my sponsor to get this little booklet and start to do my first step history. And this little booklet is basically a breakdown of looking at my history of my powerless and the manageability, and it kind of like helps me to see the truth about myself. So those are the materials that I ask my my sponsees to get as we're going through this material so that they can better understand this book. And like I said, it's in Old English, so a lot of, a lot of the terminology, a lot of the, the things um, may be a puzzlement to them, so that helps them to clear that up right away. And I, I basically put the responsibility on them for their recovery because um, I, I just let them know, you know, it's, it's their responsibility to get recovered. Um, I'm just a guide. I'm not, I'm not someone that's going to be their, their counselor, their mother, their teacher, um, or anything else. It's just I'm, I'm just a guide. I'm going to help them to really get through these steps the way my sponsor helped me. And, and then I go into what the book is about in the first four to the first edition. And the four to the first edition speaks about we of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than 100 men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. To show other alcoholics precisely how we have recovered is the main purpose of this book. So at this point, I'm discussing with them about the fact, what are we going to be discussing in, in this book? You know, um, what is it that we want to um, to get out of this, and you know, and it's the recipe, you know, for recovery. Um, it's going to tell us precisely how 
these 100 men and women have recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body, a two-fold illness. Um, and, you know, and if you notice, uh, recovered here is in past tense. Um, these 100 people have already experienced this, and now they're going to show us exactly how to follow the same formula so that we can get the same results. So for us, it's in present tense. For them, it was in past tense. And I, I, that means that experience is going from the beginning to the end and getting the results, which is the conclusion. And so I want to get that experience, but the only way I can do that is following the steps as outlined in this book, in which it, it, will, it will tell me that. Um, the subjects presented in this book um, in, in the whole program of recovery is going to answer three questions. What is the problem, which is the allergy of the body and obsession of the mind? What is the solution, which um, is step two, which is going to recover, um, uh, it's going to cover the greater aspect of the disease in, in there's a solution, <laughs> that chapter. It's funny. Um, and it's also, at this point in time, I let my sponsees know that when we're covering there's a solution, it's going to cover the second aspect of the disease. And there's a reason why it's covered in that chapter versus in this chapter where we're going to be speaking about the doctor's opinion. In um, <clears throat> the doctor's opinion, it's going to primarily address the physical, the physical aspect of the disease. Um, but I, I inform them that we are going to also touch briefly on what that mental obsession is. Um, and, and, and it's covered somewhat in the doctor's opinion, but primarily it's talking about the physical. Um, and then I, I discuss with them what is the program of action, which is um, taking us step by step through a series of actions um, to apply the solution and get the end result, which is to have a spiritual awakening and be recovered. So those are the things that I... I discuss with my sponsees as um, I'm introducing uh, the doctor's opinion. And then we get to the doctor's opinion and we discuss a little bit about the doctor because it's really important to understand who this doctor was and, you know, why should I put my confidence in someone that, uh, you know, that was <laughs> a doctor back, 70, 76 to 78 years ago, you know, why should I put my confidence in that? And, you know, and, and it is what it, what it says here, the doctor's opinion, the doctor's theory, the doctor's professional point of view. Um, he is a doctor, and what interests me of this is that, you know, he's a medical doctor, so he's going to be dealing with the physical aspect. Um, and, and for me as a compulsive overeater, I... I definitely deal a lot with the physical, you know. Um, so here it says in the beginning, we of Alcoholics Anonymous believe that the reader will be interested in the medical estimate of the plan of recovery described in this book. So automatically I'm looking at, you know, the medical estimate. Um, you know, I'm interested because he was a doctor and again, as I mentioned before, he dealt with the physical aspect of these alcoholics. And he treated about an estimated 51,000 alcoholics. So that interests me already that he's kind of like figured out what's going on with these alcoholics. 
and he's he has something that to offer. And he said, and he also encourages the plan of recovery, which is the 12 steps described in this book. So I'm already interested in that. And then he's going to talk about how he has witnessed our return to health. That's also automatically something that gives me a lot of hope. Um, you know, because I am, I am, uh, I am a person who's sick and has suffered from this in a chronic way um, from from my compulsive overeating. So automatically there, I'm already interested in what this doctor has to say because he's saying, I will be able to return back to health. I will be able to return back to the same way of thinking. So the doctor here is going to also discuss about, you know, the, the main thing that he's going to be be discussing, which is the foundation of, of this of this program, is what is the problem? And he's going to focus on what is the problem. And so we're going to get into that. And one of the things that I I immediately um, hone in on with my sponsees is this story about this businessman of good earning capacity, which was an alcoholic of a type I had come to regard as hopeless. And I hone in on that paragraph because it talks about a type. It talks about a typology. And in the doctor's opinion, you're going to see this word over and over again. And it's going to be repeated in different terms. So if you don't get it the first time around, you'll get it the second time around or the third time around. And he uses the same words, um, the same meaning of a word in different words. For instance, um, this type, he will also call it a class or an entity of people that is different, that differentiates them from other people. So automatically, <laughs> I already fall into a group of people that are different for some reason. And we're going to learn what that reason is in the next, um, in the next page, um, which is XXVI. And I'm going to read that. It says, the physician who at a request gave this letter has been kind enough to enlarge upon his views in another statement which follows. In this statement, he confirms that we who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite abnormal as his mind. I did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life, that we were in full fright from reality or were outright mental defects. These, these things were true to some extent, in fact, to a considerable extent with us, but we were sure that our bodies were sickened as well. In our belief, the picture of the alcoholic, which leaves out the physical factor, is incomplete. So automatically, automatically, as soon as... <laughs> The doctor uh, starts talking about this 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 problem. He's honing in on what the problem is, and he's telling us, um, in part, what we must do. Because there's an action step that we must do here, and it says, "We we who have suffered alcoholic torture, I who have suffered com compulsive overeating torture, or you know, I I'll put it in simple terms, gluttony." torture because you know when I eat uncontrollably I'm a glutton I eat beyond the amounts that I'm supposed to eat so it says must believe must believe 
that the body of the compulsible reader is quite abnormal as his mind. Already has given me the problem, twofold disease. Uh, one disease, twofold in nature. My body and my mind are affected. I must believe this. If I'm going to get this, I must believe this. And at this point in time, I, I turn over to, um, and I know it's not part of the doctor's opinion, but to help the sponsee to really get this, um, I like to define certain words, and I like to put the responsibility of recovery, of their recovery on them. And so I go to the, the um, re-agnostics, and I go, I go there in that first paragraph, and I read this sentence, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely, or if when drinking you find little control over the amounts you take, you're probably an alcoholic. If that be the case, you may be suffering from an illness which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And at this point in time, I take out, you know, my dictionary and I help, help them to define what is honesty because if, if they don't know what honesty is, if they don't know um, how to gauge that, then they're not going to be honest about the work that they're, they're about to do. So I, I go into that, and it says here, and that is clear, correct, right, real, true, honorable, sincere, truthful, open, frank, candid, will not lie, cheat, steal. It's truthful, direct, open, clear, unreserved, sincere, straightforward, abstinent from pretense or deception, real, correct. True, genuine, sincere, upright in principle and action. Good, respectable, right, fair, and true. And the definitions that I hone in on is ab absence of pretense or deception, because uh, my disease already tells me, you know, that's one of the things I'm going to do. Um, will not lie, cheat, or steal. Um, to be truthful, open, and unreserved. Unreserved. I need to give my all to this if I'm going to be successful. So those are the things that I, I, uh, I discuss with them at first. Cause I, I want them to take responsibility for their own recovery. And then um, I also go into what control because that word, um, I know we throw it a lot around. However, a lot of people, they don't, they don't really, um, I, I think, the fact that, you know, control is when I'm trying to manipulate, I'm trying to um, exercise, um, you know, uh, authority over something. So, uh, you know, I, I define that for them, um, let them know that that's, that's what it is when I'm trying to um, manipulate an outcome uh, uh, to convenience me. And so, you know... It says here, if you honestly want to, um, if when you honestly want to. Um, so there has to be a component of honesty to want to quit entirely. Uh, there's some people that are not, <laughs> they're not going to concede to that. So, um, you know, and that's okay. They're, they're not there yet. They haven't hit their bottom yet. But, you know, the disease will be the greatest motivator. The food will convince you. 
And, you know, and it's about control. You know, how much am I taking in? How much am I trying to to exercise my willpower? And that's another word that I define for them because it has a lot to do with control, willpower. Uh, willpower is self-determination, self-control, the ability to carry one's own decisions, wishes, or plans, strength of mind. So if I'm self-determined, if I'm trying to carry out my decisions or wishes or plans, you know, on my own power, um, we'll see how that works. And in the in the big book, we'll we'll hone in on that. Right after that, after we've defined those words, after we've um, gone through that process, and then we go into what the allergy is, and we're also going to define that. It says the doctor's theory that we have an allergy. Um, to alcoholics interest us. As laymen, our opinion is of soundness may of course mean little, but the ex-problem drinker, we can say the explanation makes good sense. It explains many things for which we cannot otherwise account. And here um, I define the, um, the, allergy of the, uh, the allergy, and I give examples of what that looks like. Um, the allergy as defined in the dictionary, is an abnormal high sensitivity to certain substances such as pollen, foods, alcohol, or microorganisms. So that is the allergy. Um, so that means that, you know, when I, when I'm allergic to something, you know, and for some people, they're allergic to shellfish, they're allergic to peanuts, and, and their reaction uh, when they put those substances in is that they stop breathing, their lungs close up, their throats clench, clench closed, and, and the result might be deadly. But there are other allergies that are just as irritable and irritating and may not cause you death, but may cause you a lot of discomfort. <laughs> And I try to bring those in also, which is like pollen. Pollen, if I go outside and I'm, I'm uh, taking that in, um, you know, that substance is introduced to my, to my body, what do I break out in? I break out in watery eyes, sneezing, coughing. Um, you know, I, I have a lot of discomfort. I have a drippy nose. Um, and then, you know, another... Uh, Another um, illustration that I like to give my sponsors, like I'm personally allergic to wool, right? So if I, I come anywhere across wool, what happens? You know, the, the substance that I'm allergic to is the wool. So as soon as that, that substance is introduced anywhere near me, I break out in a rash. So, so my allergy is, you know, the wool, the substance is the wool, my breakout is I break out in a rash. And the same thing with the food. I introduce certain foods into my body. I break out with the phenomena of craving. I want more and more of that substance. You know, for the alcoholic, they introduce the alcohol into their bodies. What do they break out? Same, same disease. You know, they break out wanting more and more of the same. So I try to define that because we're going to really get into that you know, when we start identifying our binge foods and our trigger foods, 
um, that definition needs to be very, very clear in their minds. Then I go to the next paragraph and it says, though we work out our solution on a spiritual as well as altruistic plane, we favor hospitalization for the alcoholic who is very jittery or befogged. More often than not, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached as he has a better chance of understanding and accepting what we have to offer. So automatically here is telling me that my mind, you know, I could be nervous, I could be anxious, I could be irritable, but most important, I could be befogged. What does that mean? I can't think clearly. When I'm in my binge foods, when I'm in my disease, I can't think clearly. And then he says that it's imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. So if I'm in my food, I am not going to be clear to get the rest of this program. So automatically he's saying you have to eliminate, you know, on page 18, it talks about drinking, the elimination of drinking is but a beginning. So the elimination of my binge foods is but a beginning. So I have to understand that, that, you know, that even though I'm putting down my, my um, binge foods um, or, you know, my trigger foods, um, that there's more work to be done after that. And that it's going to be a process, and it's not going to, you know, it's not going to be a one, two, three thing, you know, where I put down my binge foods and all of a sudden I have a spiritual awakening. There is a process to get to that. And what I like about this big book is that it will repeat itself over and over and over again. So if you don't get it the first time, you'll get it the second time, maybe you'll get it the third time, you know. But he will say the same thing, different words, the same concept over and over again. On, <clears throat> on the bottom of XXVII, which is page 22 in Roman numerals, at the end of the paragraph it says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor, and this often requires a definite hospital procedure before psychological measures can be of maximum benefit. Here he's repeating the same thing that he just said there a second time saying that the elimination of the food, the binge foods, has to come first before you can work the rest of the steps, before you have clarity to assess what we have to offer. What do we have to offer? The program of recovery. What do we have to offer? The solution, which is 2 through 12, right? And then <clears throat> at, the end, at the end of XXIX, he says it again. <laughs> this time he gives you an example. Um, it says, I do not hold with those who believe that alcoholism is entirely a problem of mental control. And again, that's one word that I help uh, my sponsees to, to, to define, which is willpower. A lot of people think it's mental obsession. It is not the mental obsession. It is willpower. It is the self-determination. It is my own self-control, my own wishes and plans, um, to conjure up ideas and plans of how to how to how to do things. It says I have had many men who had, for example, worked a period of months on some problem business deal, which was settled on a certain day favorably to them. They took a drink a, a day or so prior to the date, and the phenomenal craving there it goes again. Phenomenal craving at once became paramount to all other interests. 
so that the important appointment was not met. These men were not drinking to escape. They were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. <clears throat> so again, you know, he's, he's talking about, you know, the physical aspect of the disease several times. He repeats this over and over to emphasize that the, the physical precedes the mental. The physical aspect of the disease precedes the mental. Um, so that's really important for us to get because, you know, it means that we need to put these binge foods down. We need to be able to do this first. And so <clears throat> at this point, I go to this one paragraph, and, and one of the things I just wanted to mention, I forgot to mention in the introduction of, of this talk, is I do tell my sponsees that, um, that there is a talk on the doctor's opinion uh, given by Ruth, um, which was, um, if, if you go into the website uh, on A Vision for You, on November 22, 2011, she covers this subject on, on the paragraph, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. And she covers this, this, this subject masterfully. Um, so if there's anything that I miss in this talk, you can always go back and, and um, cover it, uh, cover it with, with that talk because um, she does a really good job about breaking this down. And um, so <clears throat> here I go into this paragraph. We believe and so suggested a few years ago that the action of the alcoholic, of these chronic alcoholics, is a manifestation of an allergy. Here it is again, you know, that we're addressing you know, this allergic reaction. And then that the phenomenal craving is limited to this class. Now, the phenomenal craving is the actual reaction, the abnormal reaction that we have, the breakout that we have when we're introduced to our certain substances, which in our case is our binge foods. It says it's limited to this class. Again, it is telling me, in another word, type class, right, that I am grouped in this particular people. And it says it never occurs in the average temper eater. These allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. And once they haven't formed a habit and found they cannot break it, once they have lost their self-confidence, their reliance upon human things, their problems pile up on them and become astonishingly difficult. And this is where, you know, we get into the work. And I... You know, I usually tell my sponsees, you know, take out a piece of paper and, you know, without, without prejudice, without um, thinking it over, um, just list down all, the, bin, all the, the foods that you have a problem with. And then on, on XXXX, it identifies what those foods are going to be. It says, all of these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. This phenomenon, as we suggested, may be a manifestation of an allergy, which differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. So here, you know, I, I, you know, I let them know what a binge food is. A binge food is, you know, once I ingest it, I'm out of control. In other words, once I ingest it, I'm off to the races. Once too many, a hundred's not enough. If I 
put it in my mouth and automatically I can't stop eating that food, that's already classified as a binge food. Then I also, I, I tell them to make a second list of, you know, trigger foods. And trigger foods may be safe foods, but you're probably introducing something in your safe foods that's causing you to have that allergic reaction also. So I, I have them, I have them, um, I have them make a list of that also. And then I also have them uh, write down the behaviors. And so uh, I, I have them do, do those things. And at this point in time, we're going to be looking at, you know, at those, at those um, bench foods. And what I wanted to do um, is give some concrete examples of my own bench foods when I had listed them down. Um, you know, initially when I did this the first time around, I, I did not get the program or recovery. I, I, I was abstinent. I lost the weight. However, I was not, I was not um, someone that was abstinent. Um, I thought I was, but I wasn't because I didn't do it. I didn't do it the way I've been taught in this method, um, which I think really works because it really um, helps me to hone in on the key ingredients of my binge foods. So what I did is um, I'm going to mention a couple of them. And again, just remember this, these are my binge foods. These are my things that I had to identify for myself. Um, a couple of them, I'm just going to give you a couple of them so that you can understand uh, how I, I came up to uh, these binge lists. Um, initially, when I wrote my list, I, I wrote cakes, cookies, ice creams, candies, um, cereals, crackers, breads, um, all types of breads, pizza, you name it, I, I wrote it down. And, um, and, you know, and I thought initially I could abstain from that and I would be all right. Well, you know what, um, that gave me, that gave me, um, I rationalized that I could keep certain foods. If I didn't mention them on this list, I can, I can still, you know, pull it off some kind of way. So, so one of the things that I kept for myself uh, on this bench list was the sweeteners because I thought uh, it has no caloric value. Um, it's, you know, it's produced in a factory. It, it, you know, I don't think it has any any real value to, to it being introduced into my body. So I'm just going to leave it out, you know, and, and I did. And, and for a long time, um, what happened is that uh, this, this program will, will teach you one thing. If it's about, it's about powerlessness and it's about manageability. So if I address the powerlessness and I, I don't address manageability, I don't have that spiritual awakening. It has to be addressed as one component, um, powerlessness and manageability. So if, if I take this first step, then I'm going to see the results, which is my life will become manageable. And for a long time, I saw that. It did not produce that in me. Even though I had lost the weight, even though I, I was looking great, I was doing big book study, I was, I was going to meetings, I was fellowshipping, I was involved in the program, I, my life was a mess. So if I don't take this uh, step like it says in in the 12 and 12 where I need to take this 100% with absolute perfection um, 
uh, on page 68, I'm not going to get this. Um, so here it is. I, I put down a couple of them. I, I, uh, this time around when I did this work, I really got to the nitty-gritty of it. I really started to identify my, my binge foods in a way that I've never done it before. So I listed the cakes, the cookies, the ice creams, the candy. Um, I listed the, uh, the, uh, the breads, the pizza. And then my sponsor told me, I want you to identify what they're made of. You know, so I had to write out each thing. You know, what did it consist of? And so I started writing it out for cakes. I did sugar, flour, eggs, butter, milk. Um, the next one, you know, cookies, sugar, flour, eggs, butter, milk, ch uh, chocolate. Sometimes they put chunky, chewy things into it, um, fruits into it, um, ice cream, sugar, milk, cream, uh, preservatives, sweeteners, um, chocolate chips, nuts, um, you know, again, candy, uh, it's made out of sugar, preservatives, and sweeteners. Um, and so, you know, I kept going on and on with the, um, with the process. I also put down for breads, this flour and sugar, um, processed, processed, highly processed. So I put all those things down. And then my sponsor told me, um, look for the common ingredients in all those substances. And what I did was, when I did look at it, I, I came up with my common ingredients, which was, flour, sugar, sweeteners, oil, salt, preservatives, um, and then I found the sweeteners, and the sweeteners had different words for it, you know, like agave, stevia, dextrose, sucrose, uh, melitrose, um, you know, uh, honey cane, cane juice, um, uh, cane juice, beet, sweet beetroot. I mean, these are like different words for um, for those same substances, for the, for, for the sweeteners. They just have different words. Um, and so, you know, uh, and, then, and then when it came to my fat, um, I also saw that there was, there was all these fatty foods in, in, my, in, my, um, in there. You know, like I had um, a lot of butter and a lot of oil and a lot of, um, you know, um, oils and, and creams and things that equated high fat. And I also had trans fats in there, which is at MSG. It's the, the um, fat that you put um, things on the shelf for a year, um, and they usually put in, in processed foods, um, and they keep them on the shelf. So I looked at all those things, and finally I understood that, you know, that I was allergic to these things. However, you know, when I looked at sugar, I had to realize that there are different names for sugar. Flour, when it goes into my body, it converts into sugar. When sweeteners uh, go into my body, they do not convert into sugar, but they do convert into sweetness. So my, my body, when it, when it registers in my body, um, it's not going to register, well, you just had flour, or you just had a sweetener, or you just had sugar. No, it's going to register in my body as sweetness, as sweetness. So if I'm allergic to sweetness and I'm ingesting those substances, as, as the big book says here, in any form at all, it doesn't matter what you call it, it doesn't matter what, what you name it, if it's registering in my system as sweetness, 
And I'm going to have that honesty of how it's registering my body. And no sponsor in the world can tell you how it's registering your body, right? Only you yourself will know that. And that's where the honesty component comes in because you have to, you have to um, be willing to be honest with yourself as to how it's registering your system and whether you need to give those substances up. You know, nobody can tell you. I remember uh, one time I was, um, I had picked up gum and um, I didn't realize that it had sweeteners in it. And I didn't realize that the reason why I was um, putting that, that particular substance in my mouth was because I wanted to keep my mouth smacking all the time. You know, I'm a compulsive overeater. That's, that's my habit, keep my mouth smacking all the time. And so, you know, it was very hard for me to give up that substance but, you know, I, I, if I wanted the freedom that the big book talks about, I had to give up that substance, you know. So, I mean, it says in any form at all. So first I had to identify um, the three substances that the food industry uh, puts out there um, very much. And, and, you know, that's fat, sugar, and, and salt. And so I had to... Um, when I looked at these substances, I knew I was allergic to sugar and I was allergic to fat and I was allergic to the salt. However, um, I had to recognize in how many ways does sugar register? How many ways is, 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 are these substances being registered in my body? You know, and, and when I looked at it honestly, I had to say, you know, flour, um, sweeteners, um, even high fructose was a problem for me. You know, um, a lot of people don't talk about that, but, you know, when you have a large amount of fructose going into your body, it could be in dry fruits, it could be in, in um, you know, in just large quantities of, of fruit um, can be a problem. And I remember uh, my sponsor, we, we went through the USDA, um, we went through this government um, um, internet website which gave me a food plan, an appropriate food plan for me. And I, I remember thinking, um, you know, I, I came up with the appropriate, I think the appropriate amount for me was about 12 ounces of fruit. And I was having about, I don't know, 18 ounces of fruit. And, and she had told me, well, why don't you try cutting back down to eight ounces? And I tell you, my, my, my um, mental obsession just kicked in very quickly because I was going to justify, rationalize that food, <laughs> that amount. Because <laughs> I did not, you know, I, I, I remember having my food and my food plan, and it was, it was pretty, pretty clean. But, you know, I would chase after I couldn't wait to have my next meal. I couldn't understand why I, I was always running to my next meal. And she says, you know, and I remember, well, um, I said, well, it's 18 ounces, and you're telling me to do eight ounces. I said, well, I said, you know, this program tells, you know, the, the, the website tells me it's 12 ounces. Why don't we leave it at 12 ounces? And she said, no, no, no. She said, try eight. Try eight. Just, just do it. Just do it. And, and I did. I, I took her advice, her suggestion, and, and I went to eight ounces. And I tell you, immediately I felt the withdrawal. I felt the withdrawal. So what did I learn from that? I learned that, you know, I had to be honest with myself about everything, everything. 
you know, even what I thought was the safe food, even what I thought was a right appropriate portion, which wasn't for me. It wasn't. What happens now is that, you know, when I have that amount of fruit, it's not registering as high fructose or high sweetness in my body. So a lot of times, some of the times, I even forget to have my fruit. I am not conscious, uh, you know, if I'm not conscientiously putting the fruit into my food plan, a lot of times I forget. I forget to have my fruit because the sweetness is not registering in my body and it's not causing that craving, that desire to run to that food. So those are the things that, you know, that I see here, you know, when I'm speaking to a sponsee and helping them to identify their binge foods and identify what it is that's causing them that allergy. If, if it's causing you to have more and more of the same, then don't have it. Then I go into the trigger foods, which, um, you know, some people will say, well, I binge on salads, so I binge on potatoes. Well, the first thing I ask them is, well, what are you putting on the salad and what are you putting on the potatoes that's causing you to compulsively overeat? Because I know if I have a plain broccoli, I'm not, I'm not going to want to binge on that. <laughs> you know, but if I put butter and salt and other items into it, like, uh, I don't know, ranch dressing, uh, I'm going to want to binge my brains off on it. So um, it's, you know, I say, well, eliminate those things and see if you can eat it. And and they'll say, oh, no, 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 no. You know, uh, I, I, I can't eat, I can't eat that way, you know. And again, that's where the honesty comes in. Because a lot of times we're introducing things into our, say, foods that are binge foods and, part of those ingredients that causes the allergy to help to, to cause us to run to the races with that. So by eliminating those, those products, and it says, you know, that we, these allergic types can never safely use our binge foods in any form at all. And this is where I hone in on the, on the sponsee and I tell them, you need, you know, this is where the honesty comes in, you know, where, where you can't, you can't bake it, you can't fry it, you can't, you can't boil it, you can't freeze it, you can't use it in any form at all. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it has different names to it. It doesn't matter if it has, you know, um, if it's called by a different name. If it registers in your body and you feel the allergy coming on, then you know that you need to stay away from those foods. And so when we, we make, then, then what I do, the next step is I introduce them to food plan. I either tell them to go to a, um, a nutritionist or if they can't afford a nutritionist, there are these web, websites, you know, which will take you to a government website which will give you the appropriate portion sizes of what that food looks like. They will, have, they will let you know that you need to look at the labels. They will let you know that you need to look at the serving sizes in back of the labels and what the appropriate portion size are for you. And also... You know, the fact that um, you come back to me as your sponsor to make sure that the, 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 the food plan is appropriate for you and that you are not introducing those binge foods into your food plan. So, again, it's not to tell you how to eat. Every sponsee that I have has a different food plan. Everybody eats differently. Um, most of them have different binge foods um, that they identify with. and 
and by the time we get through the steps, they're they're pretty much put down their bench foods, you know, and they're able to work the rest of the program. But you know, the difference is um, that in 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 here it says that it never ever occurs in the average temper eater, right? So this phenomenon of craving, this breaking out, never occurs in the average temper eater. And that's what differentiates me from a normal person. You know, as a matter of fact, it says in the big book here, um, you know, drinks or, or foods which they see others taking with impunity with, with no issue. Um, so I have to know that I am different, that I have an allergy of the body, I have an obsession of the mind, that I am different in all respects. And when I'm going through these bench lists and when I'm going through this this um, identification of my bench list, um, I need to concede and fully know that I am different, that I will never, ever, ever, ever eat like a normal person. And I need to do that because the mental obsession will tell me the lie, will tell me once I put down the bench foods, whether it's for an hour, whether it's for a day, whether it's for a week, whether it's for a month or a year, if I put down my bench foods, If I take it in any form at all, I will go off to the races. But for the average temperate drinker, it doesn't matter what they take. They can have two glasses of wine and they can stop. I, on the other hand, can't. I can't do it. And that's the difference. One can, the other one can't. And so I have to be honest. And so... At this point in time, you know, I I help them with the food plan, and um, and then we get into the step work, uh, and really hit it hard with um, seeing that powerlessness and where it takes me. And uh, I'll quickly uh, read this, and then I'll wrap it up. It says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Um, you know, I, I, I chase after the effect. I don't chase after the fact that I'm having these binge foods, but I like what it produces in me, which uh, most of the time is anesthesia. I numb out. I don't like to feel things. Um, and it says the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot after time differentiate the truth from the false. Um, so my mind gets cloudy. I can't. The mental obsession kicks in. It tells me to to go back to the foods, to chase after the foods. And it says to them, their alcoholic life seems the normal one. They're restless, irritable, and discontent. Uh, that's when I put down the food. I'm abstinent uh, unless they can, again, experience this sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks, which means that if, if I put back the bench foods in my, in my, in my system, that's what's going to give me the ease and comfort, but it's temporary ease and comfort because in, in reality it's just killing me. Um, drinks which they see others taking with impunity without ease. These are, are that class of people that are the average temperate eaters. Um, after they succumb to the desire again, as so many do, the phenomena craving develops and they pass through well-known stages of a spree emerging remorseful. I'm never going to do it again. I... I can't live this way. The unmanageability kicks up. Um, and then it says, with a firm resolution not to drink again, they repeat this over and over 
I go on that hamster wheel. I go into that insane way of doing things, repeating the same behavior, hoping for a different outcome. Maybe if I eat it this way or maybe if I eat it at that time or maybe if I do it differently, I will have a different result. Well, that's not going to happen because it says unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. So unless I hit a true bottom and really believe, really believe that I am abnormally, mind and body, that I am different from the average temper eater, that I cannot take these foods safely at all, in any form at all, and that I have to do this entirely. The only relief is entire abstinence, that I need to be abstinent, that the physical precedes the mental, that I need to be abstinent or to work through the rest of these steps um, in order to get the hope that it's talking about here, which is a spiritual experience, a psychic change that will bring me into hope into a restored state of mind and body. Unless I do that, unless I hit that bottom and really concede to my innermost self that I am different and that I will never, ever, ever, ever safely use my binge foods in any form at all and that I can't control them and that I can't get to that stage, I will not get this program. It, it's, it's just like the... Um, you know, window screen, if it's 99% closed and there's that 1% that is cracked open, the insects and the bugs will get through that 1%. So if I take this, this step and I do it 99% and I surrender 99% and I leave that 1% open, my disease will creep in and will kill me. Because that's what it's doing anyways. It's killing me. It's just killing me slowly. For some, killing them fast. It all depends. But if I want what's outlined in this book, I have to be 100% convinced that I'm not like the average eater and that I need to put down the binge foods. There is a way. There are recovered people out there that can take you through this doctor's opinion and really break this down for you. and and help you to go through the rest of the program, go through the rest of the steps. Um, I know it's hard. I'm not going to say that it's not hard. It's hard, but it's doable. Hard, but doable. So many people have done it already. Hundreds, thousands, millions of people. I know that's not the case for OA as much, but, you know, we are definitely making that breakthrough through this, this opening of these pages and getting into the, the solution, you know. And if you can put down the binge foods and hold off and have faith and have trust that people have recovered and you can get through the rest of the steps and address the mental obsession, which is through to 12, you'll have that spiritual awakening. That is a promise. That is the promise of the bid book. And so um, that's, I'm going to leave it off there, and uh, I'm closing off with that. Thank you. Do thank you so much for the, your revealing and thorough presentation on the doctor's opinion and assisting other compulsive overeaters in analyzing and identifying their binge foods. We thank you very much for your time and your energy. 
Before we get started with question and answer period, do would you like to offer some contact information? Sure. Um, I'm I'm on the contact list as do L uh, D E W N L, and my telephone number is six four six 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 four six five five one. I'm on Eastern Standard Time, and I can be reached any time. Uh, my email address, if you need uh, those reference materials, um, I'll be glad to share them with you. Um, my email address is uh, dew at mailmail.com. Thank you very much. Again, Dew's phone number, 646-664-6551. That's Eastern Standard Time. And her email address, do, that's D-E-W, at mail.com. Thank you very much. Now we're going to open the floor for question and answer period. You can direct your question to do by pressing star 1 to unmute and identifying yourself, please. Hi, my name is Linda. Hi, Linda. Go ahead with your question. Yeah, I have a couple questions. Uh, the government website, if you're able to, to talk about that, and can you please uh, talk about withdrawal? What exactly are the symptoms of withdrawal? Um, I've experienced it through drugs and alcohol, and I am it's kind of vague with food for me. That's it. Okay. Um, be glad to. Uh, first of all, to address your first part of the question, um, because it's an outside issue, I'm not going to mention the um, actual uh, website on this line, but if you can um, text me or call me, I'll be glad for those different websites because it's not just one website. It's it's uh, different websites that are available out there that can help someone to come up with an appropriate food plan. Um, and the second part of your question is, you know, um, what is the time period? I, I guess you're asking about. Um, what my sponsor has has always told me and her experience in working with many, 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 many um, uh, compulsive overeaters is that uh, usually if you are um, withdrawing from uh, a binge food, it takes about like literally three days to get out of your system. But the withdrawal effect, um, it's about two to three weeks. Two to three weeks um, uh, for it, for for that sensation of of going through the headaches and the and the um, you know I mean for me it was um, gastrointestinal problems that you know that 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 kind of like um, were leaving my system and so you know that that's what uh, I've been told and that's what I've experienced it, it usually um, takes. I guess two to three weeks to go through a doctor's opinion and, and um, Bill's story. And so while I'm going through that with the sponsees, they're, you know, they're calling me every day and giving me their food and letting me know um, what they're going through as far as symptoms are concerned. I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Linda, for the question. Who's next? Um, hi, Ruth. This is Rochelle. I have a question. I heard Rochelle, and then I heard someone else. Susan. I'll go after Rochelle. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Rochelle, uh, your turn. 
Thank you. Uh, good morning. Thank you very much for so, so thoroughly dealing with this topic. I came on about 10, 15 minutes late, so I might have missed your dealing with this, but it wasn't clear to me what is the difference between a bidge food and a trigger food. Is it simply that a trigger food is what you know, one continues, it is a binge food and that one just continues with it. I wasn't clear on that. Could you please uh, delineate? Thank you. Sure. Um, a binge food is a, is, is a food that once you put it in, it triggers the phenomenal craving for wanting more and more of the same. So in other words, once I put it in, it causes the, the, the abnormal reaction in my body of wanting more and more. Um, I, and I can't stop once I start. That is a binge food. Um, a trigger food, the reason why I call it a trigger food is because you may be introducing safe foods that are safe for you, but you may be toppling them up with other um, binge substances in there, and it mixes it up, and, it, and, and you think you're eating safely, but you're not. Um, for instance, I gave the um, illustration of the salad. If, if I... If I have a plain salad with all my vegetables and, you know, the appropriate amount of oil in my, in my salad, then I eat that safely and I have no problems. As soon as I introduce croutons and bacon bits and cheese and other um, uh, items like, uh, you know, sugary um, dressings into it, then I can binge on a salad. I can go off on a salad. So that's why I call it a trigger food because I am introducing something that's going to cause me to have that allergic reaction. Thank you, Rochelle, for the question. And Susan, go ahead, please. Hi, it's Susan. I'm sorry. I was having a problem with my phone. Am I still unmuted? You are. Okay, great. Thanks so much, Rochelle. Thank you both so much. Rochelle asked one of my questions, but a related question to what was just answered. In assessing one's trigger foods when we're working with or speaking to others, I'm referring to trigger foods, not binge foods, but to use your example, let's say the person uh, eats salads and uh, they notice they're having problems with it. Um, well, to, to use a better illustration, I personally am able to eat nuts as long as they're raw and unsalted. Can't eat them in nut butter, can't eat them if they're roasted. So I can eat nuts, but someone else might not be able to. And how do I help them determine that so they don't eliminate foods that they can eat and continue eating foods that they can't uh, without re-triggering the allergy if someone has a day or a couple of days or a week or whatever. Thanks. I'll mute now. That's an excellent question. I've actually come across that with sponsees um, where they're not sure if it's a binge food or a trigger food or um, if, if it's, you know, they, they're unsure about whether it's safe or not. So what I, I suggest for them is to put those foods that they're not sure about aside for a month or two um, until they're cleared uh, from all their binge foods um, and their system is uh, pretty much clear and they're able to think a little bit clearer, um, you know, and get that clarity. And then what we do is we introduce one food at a time after that time period that we've set aside 
we will introduce that food again into the food plan and immediately the sponsees should be able to gauge whether that, that will trigger them to compulsively overeat or not. You know, so we do it we try to do it in a safe way where they're not triggered and go back into the food. But, you know, I, I tell them if you introduce it immediately you feel the effect of wanting more and more, then you know that's a binge food. Um, if if you introduce it after that time period and does not cause you that, um, then that 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 is a safe food. However, some foods um, are tricky because you may introduce it, and sometimes um, it might not get you the first time, but it will get you over time. So as soon as I start hearing. Um, um, Let's say we introduce a, a food into into the food plan, and a couple of days pass by, and all of a sudden I'm hearing uh, my sponsee saying, "Well, you know, I'm I'm having this incredible craving for going back to the food, or I can't stop obsessing about going back to other foods." Then I know that that one item that we introduce into the into the food plan is the corporate, and it's the one that we need to eliminate. Hope that answers your question. Thank you, Susan, for the question. Who's next? It's Linda D. from Connecticut. Hi, Linda. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Do. You did a great talk. I just have one question. Um, what are some of the behaviors that people list? I know some of mine, but I'd like a more. I'd like a, a good list of them. Thank you. I'll pass. That's uh, that's an awesome question. I wanted to cover that during my talk, but I didn't have enough time. Uh, some of the the um, uh, behaviors is um, driving while eating, soothing with binge foods, you know, licking the spoon, um, eating while standing. I mean, looking for events uh, where it has my binge foods, uh, justifying my behaviors with, you know, the fact that I'm sad, angry, lonely, tired, um, mad, or angry. Um, and, and one of the things I wanted, I'm glad that you asked that because I, I can address it now, is um, the behaviors. You know, one of the things I, I noticed, um, one, one of the speakers, as, as I mentioned, a big book teacher, um, causes such, um, causes seemingly unimportant decisions. You know, you're walking down the supermarket, you, you find yourself, you know, close to your binge foods, you, you, you are, you know, looking at them, you're contemplating them. I mean, and, and basically you don't have to go to the supermarket to, to, to go through that, right? I mean, you go outside and automatically you have billboards, you have the TV, you have the radio announcing all these things, constantly bombarding us with, with those, those, um, those situations. However, I personally call them behaviors and I call them habits um, because it's something that I develop over a period of time um, I know when I was binging, I was going to my refrigerator about 100 times. I was going to my cabinets about 100 times. When I eliminated my binge foods, what was I still doing? I was still going to the refrigerator, opening the door, looking into the refrigerator, not picking anything out of it, but I had that behavior where I, I developed it over time. It's like someone that is... Um, you know, that first starts to drive a vehicle, right? Um, at first, they're very conscientious about, you know, putting the signal lights, addressing the, the, the mirrors, um, 
putting on the, the, the gas pedal and the brake pedal and shifting the gears on, on the car um, to be able to drive. And, and you know, initially you're driving slowly and, and you're, you're, you're learning that habit, right, of, of just uh, driving. However, after, after practicing that for a while, it becomes automatic. You don't even think about it anymore. And so you go and, you know, you experience that. And, and eventually, sometimes you even get highway hypnosis where you don't even know that you got to a destination because it's so automatic. So what happens with the foods is, you know, um, people say, well, the food just jumped into my mouth. I don't know how it got there. Well, you know, <laughs> when, when you really think about it, it's, it's the behaviors and the habits that we're so used to shoving food into our mouths that it becomes uh, automatic, automatic. Uh, unless we're conscientious and, and we go back to that first experience of, you know, adjusting the mirrors in the car and really being conscientious of that, it's learning a different habit. It's learning a different way of doing things. That's why, you know, when we go through this um, procedure with a, a recovered sponsor, they're going to be teaching you um, new habits, new ways of doing things. Um, and so, you know, uh, the other thing that I wanted to mention on that, some people will say, well, I eat over my emotions. I'm, I'm either sad or angry or happy. And, you know, and one of my behaviors is I look for events and I justify my behavior through those emotional states. So it's not the fact that I am happy, sad, mad, angry, because I'll give you an illustration. Um, I can you know, I can be at home and I'm depressed. So my habit was go into the refrigerator, take out the tub of ice cream, take out the potato chips, take out the, um, all my binge foods and sit in front of the TV and binge my brains off and soothe myself. That's what I did. So that's when I'm depressed. So that's the habit that I, I create. Now I'm having a happy occasion, and I go to the movie theater. Now my friends come along with me, and they get their popcorn and their soda, and they go into the movie theater. Um, I'm a compulsive overeater. You know, um, I'm happy. I'm thinking that's the reason why I'm going to eat, you know, because I, I want to share with my friends. But because I'm a compulsive overeater, I want to take that whole concession stand into the movie theater. Because I want to take everything with me. I want to take the pizza, the soda, the candy, potato chips, the, everything that they have and bring it into that, 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 that movie theater. And I'm going to repeat the same behavior that I repeated at home. But it's not because I'm happy or sad. It's because I'm looking for the event to justify my behavior and my feelings that are going to justify that behavior. Same thing. I go to um, I go to uh, I go to a picnic. Um, am I looking to socialize with my family? Am I looking to socialize with my friends? No. If I'm a true compulsive overeater, my interest is going to be what foods are going to be there, and I'm going to be chasing after the food. I don't care to socialize with people, but I justify it as I'm going. To this picnic to socialize with my family. That's a lie because if I'm a true compulsive overeater, the reason why I'm going there is to binge my brains off. And that could be a happy occasion, right? 
um, where I'm justifying it through my feelings of it's a fun time, it's a great time, I'm happy, I want to share with my family. There might be other occasions where I might be going to a funeral and I'm sad and I'm depressed. So I'm going to justify my eating um, after that service. And, you know, sometimes they, and at funerals they have like this, um, this spread of food and, and um, you know, and, and my justification is not to mourn with my loved ones and my friends and, and people there. My justification is that I'm going to, I'm going to say I'm depressed and so I'm going to eat over it. And so here's the food and and my real reason for being there is not to mourn the loss. Um in part it might be but but for most for most part if I'm a real compulsive overeater it's going to be because of the food. So so in that way I address those behaviors it's not about your feelings. It's not about when I'm happy or sad, is the fact that if I'm a true compulsive overeater, I'm going to be chasing after that food, and I'm going to justify my behavior in any form, shape, size. It says, um, you know, that we justify our, our behaviors through every form of self-deception, experimentation to prove ourselves like a normal eater. Hope that answers your question. Thank you, Linda, very much for the question. And thank you, do. Anyone else with a question this morning? Star one to unmute. Um, hi, this is Karen. Hi, Karen. Go ahead. Well, I haven't been listening to the whole talk. I Unfortunately, I came in um, a little bit late. Um, but I was just taught, I'm very new and I have a, a sponsor that I'm not accustomed to at all. And she several times told me to, to call her, um, you know, when you feel, whenever you feel like eating, be sure and call me. And um, I just told her, I said, you know, you're not hearing me because it's not that I, I felt like eating. It's not that I, I, I was kind of like what she was describing just now. Uh, I, I told her, I just, um, I came home, I had all this planned of, of, you know, to make sure that I was going to eat the right thing. I had stopped and got uh, vegetables and and some healthy foods for, for dinner. And um, I came walked in the door and said, oh, you know, I still have that quiche in there. I should have that for dinner. And um, it was, it. I didn't, I didn't go on a binge or anything, but it's a, it's a, all that the crust and all that on the on the quiche, um, all that is like trigger foods for me. So um, I'm not exactly sure what my question is in here because, like I said, I'm I, I've actually, I actually really uh, relapsed. So it's not only that I'm new, but I'm a, a relapsed a, kind of a returning uh, person, and um, and I realize today that that this is what happened to me before is. I know when I when I relapsed is I um I didn't I don't think about eating. It's not something I say, oh gosh, I'm going to have to call somebody before I binge. I, the food's in my the refrigerator door is open and the food's in my mouth before I I think that there's any sort of problem at all. So if you can comment on that, which I think you've kind of been doing, maybe <laughs> that would be helpful. Thank you, Karen. Go ahead, do. Well, um, I've had experience with sponsees that, you know, I tell them the same thing, call me before you pick up, because I can't help you once you're in the food. 
I can't help you. I can't, I can't talk you down. I can't talk you off of the ledge if you're not calling me. Um, what your experience is what's called self-will. I'm going to determine how I'm going to eat, when I'm going to eat, and how I'm going to eat um, because I want to be closer to that food. And if I call my sponsor, that means I'm going to, or I call another recover person, which is going to walk me off the ledge, um, then that's going to address my disease. If I have not taken a step fully where I feel completely defeated, I feel pummeled, I am not going to chase after the solution. You know, I'm not going to chase after, you know, um, wanting this program. Um, I may convince myself, I may talk to myself, I may give myself 100 forms of alibis and excuses. It's because, you know, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to the food because I've had so many problems, nobody understands me, nobody uh, knows what I'm going through, or I can handle this myself, I, I know that the food is there, I shouldn't take it up, it's calling to me. However, you know, um, I'm, I'm still going to do what I want to do you know, which is go back to the food, you know, cause, because we do have the mental obsession that tells us the lie that we can beat this this time around, you know, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be able to eat differently this time, that I'm going to be able to introduce and enjoy my binge foods this time around, and that I'm going to be able to control it. That's not taking step one. Step one is saying I am totally defeated by these foods, I can't take these. I need help. I need to run somewhere. I need to run to a power greater than myself. And for some people, it may not be God at this point in time because we haven't addressed that. But it could be the program of recovery, right? Because if you submit it yourself and you surrender to the program of recovery, it's going to give you clear-cut directions on how to handle that, on how to handle those behaviors, how to handle those situations, and that's why we have recovered people. Why? Because we're the experts. We have been the gluttons, number one. We've played every trick in the book. Um, I know I have. I've hustled every sort of way. You know, I'm, I'm the expert hustler in wanting to get my way. Today, because I, I have gone through the process, um, I'm an ex-hustler, <laughs> you know. And so when people talk to me about the different um, things that are going on with them and the, the um, justifications that they come up with, I already know that that's the disease, you know. But I can't, I can't give, two things I can't give a sponsee is the willingness and a higher power. That has to come from them. So if you're not willing and you don't have the desire um, and you may tell yourself, I do have the desire to stop, but your actions contradict what you're saying. So if you want people to believe you, then you need to take the action. This program is not about thinking. It's not about emotions. It's not about theorizing. It's about into action. So take the action. Call someone, you know, uh, Call somebody recover. It doesn't necessarily have to be your sponsor. Call somebody recover. As long as you're recover, they will talk you off the ledge. Hope that helps. Thanks again, Karen, for the question. Anyone else before we wrap up this morning? Anyone else have a question? Judy? I didn't catch your name. Judy. Judy, your turn. Yeah. 
Hi, hi, dude. Thank you for your presentation. My question is, is that when you're walking someone through the doctor's opinion, do you do most of the talking because you're explaining the doctor's opinion, or is there more of a dialogue? And that I'll, I'll mute. Thank you. Well, um, you know, pe uh, people learn differently. So one of the things I do in the beginning is ask them how they learn. Uh, do they want to read paragraph by paragraph? Do they want to just hone in on certain things? Um, you know, and so I, I let them um, tell me what is their best way of, of learning. Um, but yes, it would be a dialogue because if I'm talking and I am not getting feedback from the sponsee and knowing where they're at um, or, or, or getting the feedback of understanding uh, when they're answering questions or relating to the paragraphs where they're at, I mean, that automatically is going to tell me if they're having a, a good comprehension of what we're discussing or not. And so that will help me to gauge on how to help them better. So I would have a dialogue and I would have them um, relating what that paragraph means to them and, and how it's affecting them and what they're getting out of that paragraph. And a lot of times they might have misconceptions about what they're reading and that's why I have that dialogue with them so that I could get a clear understanding of where they're at so that I could be of most help to them. With that, Ipa. Thank you, Judy, for the question. Anyone else? Yes, this is Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Go ahead. Yes, do thank you, and I appreciate that uh, comment about people learn differently and check in because they don't all learn like me. The thing that I I've come from a paradigm where there are guidelines and how I learned my program over these last thirty years, and with the idea that you know, three slips and you need to find a new sponsor. And now leaning <clears throat> into a vision for you, um, you know, that might have worked for me fine, but how do you help someone who keeps slipping or going back, not willing to pick up the phone, as you said, that's part of it, and I understand. Is there, is it an internal connection with your higher power that, it's time to let them go and let the disease convince them to come back. Is there a, any, um, how do you, what kind of um, judgment or prayerful thing do you go by on, you know, not t carrying somebody, I guess. When, when do you decide that carrying them is not doing them any good? Thank you, and I pass. Well, that's a really good question. The first thing is, um, if I'm carrying them and I'm working harder for for their recovery than than um, than they are, then I'm doing them a disservice. My job is not to take responsibility for their recovery. That's their job, and I put that responsibility on them from the very beginning. Um, if someone is having difficulties and they keep going back to the food. Um, I do pray about it, and I do ask God, um, how can I best help this person? And if it's something that I can help them with, or if I'm not the right person, 
Um, one of the things I do is I have a discussion with my sponsee and I, I ask them, I ask them, um, am I the right person for you? I mean, because if you keep repeating these behaviors, then maybe, um, maybe it's a good idea that you look for a different option where, where you get your needs met. Um, you know, and, and for me, you know, a lot of times it's two things. One, they, uh, they really um, want to be in a codependent relationship, which means they, they want to be binging, um, but at the same time they want to have some sort of um, um, fellowship or friendship or whatever. That's not, that's not primarily my job. My job is to k take you through the big book, um, address the disease, and if you're going to be working with me, that's basically what I'm going to be doing. So if you have, um, if you have these intervals where you go back to the food, uh, what I'm going to look at is I'm going to look at uh, the frequency, the duration, and the intensity of how these sponsees um, continue to do this type of behavior. Um, you know, and again, uh, normally I don't have to let go of a sponsee. They'll let go of me um, because I'm going to keep it back on the step. And believe me, if, if I'm as tenacious as they are about picking up with uh, taking them through the doctor's opinion, most times they will let me go. They do not, if they want to binge their brains off, they're not going to be talking to me or calling me because I'm going to get into the solution and I'm going to address the disease. Um, but uh, that's not for everyone. You know, a lot of people don't sponsor that way. Some other people take what what page 90 in the big book says, when you discover a prospect in Alcoholics Anonymous and find out all you can about him, if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste your trying to persuade him. So my job is not to persuade or convince someone uh, when they pick up the food, not to convince them to stay in program. Um, as a matter of fact, um, my sponsor has given me this really cool thing to do. Um, uh, which I should be challenging them at that point in time, um, you know, to to go back to the food. If if they say to me and they're clear about it, I want to go and binge and binge, and I really don't want this program. Then why at that point in time am I going to convince them to stay in program? Because then then it would be a real waste of time, my time and their time. So one of the things that my sponsor has um, has has told me to uh, recommend it is you know challenge him like you know like it says in in the um, in the chapter more about alcoholism you know if if um, you can quickly diagnose yourself go to the nearest uh, you know uh, bar room or you know or buffet area and uh, or the store and try to drink and abruptly stop you know if if you think you can control this you know I challenge you. Have one or two donuts. Have one of the one or two of your binge foods and try it for a month, and see. But you can only have one or two of those substances and try to control it each day. They will not be able to pull it off. If they're a true compulsive overeater, they're not going to be able to pull that off. So, um, you know, to answer your question is basically, you know, gauging the situation. Um, if I see them. Um, 
trying, you know, they fall, and, and, but they're doing better, you know, um, the next time they do a little bit better and they're improving and, and they seem to be getting it, I try to stick with those sponsees. Even though they're having uh, difficulties um, going on intervals, going back to the food, but if they are improving over a period of time and they do have the desire to um, continue with the step work, I do not let them go. Um, that's why we're compulsive overeaters because we're constantly in the food and so we need to help um, to get through that hump. Um, however, you know, if they outrightly tell me I want to um, go and binge, um, it is not my job to convince them. Uh, the food will do that. The food will bring them into a state of reasonableness. So I just, you know, give them my blessing and, you know, off they go. So I hope that answers your question. Thank you, Deborah. Who's next with a question? Hi, can I ask a question? Oh. Yes, questions, please. Okay. Um, your name? So, oh, Liba. Hi. Liba. Um, uh. Okay. So I had, like, I've been absent, um, thank God, like the last over three years. And within the absence, there has been periods of time where, let's say, somebody told me I had to, whatever, for medical reasons, um, like I'm pregnant and I had to take, like, a glucose, you know, like that sugar stuff, right, that sugar drink. And I asked some people who, you know, who are expecting on program, they said, you can take it, whatever. So I took the drink. And then afterwards, I didn't, like, feel anything. You know what I'm saying? I didn't feel like, oh, um, I wanted to have more afterwards. So sometimes, I, I mean... Not that I think that, like, oh, I can go into sugar again, but sometimes I think, like, I took a high-sugar, like, you know, drink, and I didn't feel anything afterwards. And I'm thinking, like, am I sugar? You know, and, but I don't worry. I know that I've had many sugary things before my abstinence, and, like, I couldn't stop. But here it was like, okay, no big deal. So sometimes I just, like, wonder to myself, like, I don't know. Am I? Am I not? Whatever. So maybe you can help me with that. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad you asked that question. And I'll, I'll give you a, a personal example of mine. Um, you know, I I came into program. Um, I I lost the weight. You know, and I looked great, and everything was fine. And um, I held on to one of my binge foods. Um, this particular binge food was a sweetener, and I personally. Um, you know, didn't have that, you know, full-blown breakout with my disease, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't registering so much into my system. But what happened? Three years, three years had, had passed um, since, since I came into OA. And uh, by the third year, uh, that one sweetener packet that I thought in my mind I was taking um, and I was introducing into my foods, um, I didn't realize how much it had escalated and how much it had kept me in the disease. So a lot of times, you're, you're right, you may not feel it, but it's there. It's hibernating, and it's going to bring you to your bottom. It's going to bite you in the behind one way or another. It may not get you the first year. It may not get you the sixth year, you know, but eventually it will get you. <laughs> so if you're introducing it, even in very, very small quantities, Eventually, it will get you to your bottom. Um, I remember going to this um, this uh, retreat, and um, and I remember hearing a big book uh, teacher talking about sweeteners. And I was thinking, I was justifying, you know, I was like, well, I don't need to listen to her because 
Um, I, you know, I, I can take one sweetener in my tea. I can take one sweetener and I'm good. And I see other recover people, you know, do the same thing. So obviously if they're recovering, they can do it and they can get away with it. I can do it too. And that's how I justify my sweetener. And three years. And, um, you know, and, but my life was a mess. You know, I hadn't had that spiritual awakening. I had not gotten recovered. And I was thinking, wow, why is it taking me so long? It's been three years I'm in program. I think I'm doing all the right things, but I'm not getting that result. And I remember this um, big book teacher coming, coming and sitting at our table and we were, uh, uh, you know, eating and, and, you know, and uh, me and this other person have pulled out the sweeteners and, you know, and I'm pouring it into my tea. And she had asked me, she says, well, what are you abstaining from? And I proudly said, you know, because I didn't know what I know now, um, I had probably said, uh, I'm abstaining from sugar and flour, you know. Um, and she said, interesting. She said, so if you're abstaining from, from sugar, why are you introducing a substance that is, is causing sweetness in your mouth? If you're, you're abstaining from sugar, then that means you're abstaining from sweetness. So why are you introducing a substance that, that, um, that has sweetness in it? And I kept thinking, you know, I looked at her and I, I was like, you know, I wanted to kind of like snap her shut because I wanted to, I wanted my sweetener. Um, so I quickly justified it. I said, well, I'm just having one sweetener with my tea. Every time I have tea, I'm having one sweetener. So obviously I don't have a problem. Um, so the next question that she asked me was, well, how many teas are you having? And I said, well, 10. You know, she asked me, I mean, you know, I, I mean, this was someone that was very skillful <laughs> because if she would have asked me how many sweeteners am I having a day, I would have probably said, I would have probably justified that because she's addressing my, my disease head on. But she was wise enough to address it through the teas because I didn't, I didn't give it a second thought because I didn't have a problem with the teas. I had a problem with the sweeteners. So when I said I'm having 10 teas a day, her response was, well, if you're having 10 teas a day and you're having one sweetener per tea, that means that you're having 10 teas, 10 sweeteners. 10 sweeteners a day, multiply that by seven days a week, multiply that by 365 days a year. How many sweeteners are you having? And I realized at that very moment that I was not abstinent, that I had totally failed, that I was not having a full-blown-out reaction with my, with my um, disease, but that was my bottom. That was my absolute bottom there. You know? And it took three years of being in program thinking that abstinence was the answer and that I look great because I had lost weight and I got this because I lost weight and it was not about that because the unmanageability when I looked at my life was still there. Um, I was restless, irritable, and discontent, and it wasn't until I got honest with myself and put every single substance down that I was able to work this program with a diligence and with a fervor that I've never had before to get that spiritual awakening and be an actual recovered person today. Hope that answers your question. Thank you, Leba, for the question. Hi, Anyone this is else? Cheryl, from, Cheryl from Maryland. Hi, Cheryl. Go ahead. 
Yes, I do. Uh, thank you very much for uh, your presentation. Um, I, my question is, so putting sweetener, introducing sweetener into your mouth, does that include fruits? Thank you. I'll pass. Well, um, that's a good question again, and I, I did cover that in the talk. Um, uh, but I'll, I'll simply say, you know, um, if I am taking a large amount of fructose in my system and I am creating um, that sweetness in my system, yes, it's going to register as sweetness. It's going to register as, it's going to probably trigger my allergy. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, my sponsor helped me to gauge the appropriate amount of each um, even in, in safe foods, um, I, I can, some people, you know, can binge on, on safe foods, you know, because it creates, it creates an allergy in them. And, and that's why everything, everybody has a different binge food, everybody has a different abstinence, everybody has a different food plan, because, you know, everybody's different, everybody reacts differently to it. However, it's, it's gauging the honesty of when that substance in, is introduced into my body and how I'm reacting to it. My sponsor can't tell me how I'm going to react to that substance. There's no way in the world. Unless she's a genie, she's not going to be able to do that. You know, unless she's God, she's not going to be able to do that. And she's not those two things. So um, the only one that can gauge the honesty um, about how that's introduced into my body is myself. So if I see that if high fructose in, in, in my fruit is causing me to go off to the races, then I need to put that down. And I'll give you, a, a, for instance, for me, um, if I have red apples, um, I, it's too sweet for me. I, I cannot have red apples. But I can have a Granny Smith green apple which has uh, less fructose in it. You know, um, the sweetness, the sweetness in the fruit um, is very high in the red apple versus the sweetness in a green apple. So I prefer to have a green apple versus the red apple. Um, another thing, I can't have, I can have an orange, um, you know, a plain orange. Um, it has fibers in it, and so it metabolizes into my system a little slower. Um, but if it's highly processed, like it becomes orange juice, then I can't have orange juice. I've, I'm convinced today that I cannot have orange juice because it will, it will go into my system and it will register as sugar immediately and that sweetness will be there. Um, so I cannot have that. However, uh, that to say, I can have apple juice. Um, apple juice does not register in my system that way. Um, as a matter of fact, I have a whole container of apple juice that's been sitting in my in my cabinet for a month now um, that I have not touched. So um, because it doesn't call to me, um, so that's how I kind of like know. You know, if I'm chasing after it, if I'm um, uh, introducing it and I can't stop once I start, that is definitely a substance that I need to put down. If I see that the substance is not calling to me and I even sometimes at times forget that it's even there, um, that is a substance that I can have. And I hope that answers your question. 
Thank you, Cheryl, for the question, and thank you to all who posed questions this morning. Thank you, Du, for your time and energy on the line this morning, and of course, thank you for your insights during your thorough presentation on the doctor's opinion. And I'm going to close this meeting the way we always close a vision for you, and that's from the reading on page 164 from the chapter entitled A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.